I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about how the bilingual brain might be better at multitasking, good news for women who are at risk for morning sickness, and the strangely complex science behind cat purring. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. People who are bilingual, it turns out, might just be better at switching gears from one task to another than people who only speak one language. That's according to a new study out of the University of Florida. Okay, switching gears, so you mean like, Multitasking? Well, sort of. To really understand what this means, you have to think about how we process information. So new ideas, stimuli, info, and all kinds of shiny objects are always trying to steal away our attention, right? Sure, but most of that stuff is just kind of useless fluff. Exactly. Most of the things that try to pull our focus away from a task are just irrelevant. But for most of us, those irrelevant things kind of get stuck in our minds, and we have to punch them down or suppress them in order to maintain our focus. But this study found that bilinguals are better at simply ignoring the useless stuff. Ah, okay. And if you can ignore useless information, you can more easily get to the heart of each new issue that arises. Something like that. They're not totally sure why this happens, but the study represents a totally new approach to studying the bilingual mind. As you can imagine, researchers have done countless studies on the bilingual brain, But this is the first that used an assessment called the partial repetition cost task, which is a way to see how people handle incoming information and how well they are able to control their own attention. Why didn't anyone think of testing like this before? Well, that's one of the exciting things here. The researchers say that no matter the results of this study, it shows that we need new ways to look at and study how language abilities affect the way the mind works. I mean, that's hard to argue with, but... Let me ask, do they know why bilinguals are better at focusing on the essential parts of the conversation? They think it has to do with the mind's ability to switch seamlessly between languages. Say you're bilingual and you're having a conversation in English. Your second language is still there and is totally active. You just don't even have to think about it. Right. So like when I try to speak French that I learned in high school, I have to kind of go back over my conjugations and vocabulary. But if I was bilingual, it wouldn't be a thought at all. Nope. So they're able to basically put their second language on hold or even just ignore it until they need it. Cool. So if I become fluent in another language, will my brain change? (sighs) Well, probably not. They consider a bilingual person to be someone who learned both their first and second languages before they turned 12 and who still use both languages actively. So uh... (laughs) I guess I missed the boat on that one. Did you know that, by some estimates, between 70 and 80% of women experience nausea and vomiting during pregnancy? You mean morning sickness? Exactly. Okay, so 70 to 80% is definitely a high number, but if you study the effects of pregnancy by, you know, watching movies, you would think that 100% of women got 
crazy morning sickness. Oh, totally. The perception of morning sickness is really misleading, and that's exactly why this study is so important. If some women actually don't get that awful nauseous feeling, then why? Why do some women get it and some don't? So here's the thing. Of those 70 to 80% of women who get sick during pregnancy, somewhere between 1 and 3% of them will get sick enough to require life-saving medical interventions. So finding relief is potentially more than just making pregnant women more comfortable. It could actually save lives. Both the life of the mother and of the fetus. In fact, hyperemesis gravidarum, or HG, is a severe form of morning sickness and is the most common cause of hospitalization in the first trimester. Okay, the stakes are obviously much higher than they seem in the movies. So did they actually find a cause? They think they have. Previous studies of morning sickness have been pretty limited, but when they sorted through biochemical and genetic clues, they found some evidence that a hormone called GDF15 might be the culprit. So this new study went in trying to either confirm or deny that hunch. So what is GDF-15? Its full name is Growth Differentiation Factor 15, and it plays a role in all sorts of body functions, including in non-pregnant women. It's been found to influence metabolism and help regulate appetite and obesity. It influences cardiovascular health and helps with insulin resistance. It seems to increase when inflammation is present, leading scientists to believe it has some positive effects on different cellular stressors. It might even play a role in maintaining the health of our skin as we age. Got it. So if GDF-15 causes morning sickness, it's not like doctors can just give women a drug that eliminates it. It sounds pretty necessary. That's right. So this study found that GDF-15 is produced at higher levels by the placenta during pregnancy and that the severity of a woman's morning sickness and the risk of developing HG is linked to her sensitivity to GDF-15. Okay, so GDF-15 is something that all women have in some capacity, but when they become pregnant, the levels skyrocket, and some women are more sensitive to it than others. That's basically the gist. So what makes one woman more sensitive? That was another thing they looked at, actually. It turns out that women with naturally low GDF-15 levels have a higher risk of severe morning sickness and of developing HG. And as you might guess, there's a genetic variant associated with lower GDF-15 levels. Women with that genetic variant... They're more likely to get morning sickness. Exactly. But on the other hand, they found that women who have typically higher levels of GDF-15 pre-pregnancy, they experience less nausea. In fact, there's a blood disorder called beta-thalassemia that is associated with higher levels of GDF-15. And women with that disorder... Experience less nausea. You got it. So is morning sickness just something women have to keep dealing with? Nope. Studies have shown that simply building a tolerance to GDF-15 might prevent the sickness. Another way would be to block it from reaching its receptor in the brain. And even though those treatments aren't here at this very moment, this study should give every woman who might be thinking about taking the wild journey into motherhood a glimmer of hope that she might be able to avoid that dreaded scourge of millions of moms who came before them. Morning sickness. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Scientists have released a study that may finally put an age-old mystery to rest. They may have figured out how cats purr. 
Uh, okay. Well, let me say that scientists are maybe the best and most curious people on Earth. Only a scientist would consider the whole universe of mysteries and think, how does a cat purr? Uh, but second of all, <laughs> how was this a mystery for so long? Like, doesn't everyone know that cats purr because they're happy? See, that's why they purr. How they purr has stumped researchers for decades. Oh, uh, so why is that such a mystery? Well, the purr, it turns out, is incredibly complicated. So purring is what's considered a low-frequency vocalization, and those are usually only observed in much, much larger mammals. Think like elephants. Those animals have much longer vocal cords that can make the deeper, more gravelly sounds. Oh, okay. So when you put it that way, the purr is a totally different vocalization than, say, a meow or even the growl of big cats like lions or tigers. Exactly. And here's where it gets even more complicated. Our voices, or any vocalization for that matter, is what's known as a flow-induced self-sustained oscillation, which is a passive mechanism. Can you break that down for me a little bit? <laughs> yeah. It basically means that your brain can send a signal to start your voice up, and once your vocal cords start vibrating, your brain can stop sending signals and let your lungs and voice box do their work. That kind of passive action is different than when you, I mean, say, lift up a glass of water. Every time you move your arm or pick up a glass, your brain has to send a signal to those corresponding muscles. Every nerve twitch and muscle contraction comes from a signal sent by your brain. But with vocalizations, the brain sends a signal and the vocal cords just start vibrating. Okay, so that makes sense. But where does the purring come into play? For decades, researchers thought that the cat's purr was fundamentally different from other vocalizations because they thought that in order to make the purring sound, the cat's brain had to continually send signals to the vocal cords over and over. Uh, so in other words, they thought a cat's purr was an active behavior like picking up a glass. Like when you scratch Little Muffin behind the ear, she keeps <laughs> actively purring out of sheer joy. Well, that was the thinking. But this new study examined the larynges from eight cats that had been euthanized due to illness. The researchers stretched the vocal cords and drew humid air across them and were actually able to make a purring sound. Obviously, there's no muscle contractions or brain input involved. So the purr is so different from the meow, but it's actually a similar mechanism that allows it? That's kind of the thinking, yeah. They also found these fatty pads surrounding their vocal cords that they think allow them to vibrate at lower frequencies. Scientists have known about these pads for years, but only now are they beginning to understand that they have a specific function. Purring pads. <laughs> yeah. Of course, like all studies, more research is needed. Some skeptics say that the mechanisms need to be studied in living cats, which is a fair point, but... The cats purr when they're happy and relaxed, so good luck getting them to purr when they're hooked up to monitors with a group of lab coats staring down at them. <laughs> That's exactly why it's taken so long to get to the bottom of the purr. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. A University of Florida study revealed that bilingual individuals may have a sharper ability to ignore irrelevant information suggesting that the mental agility required to switch between languages helps them control their attention. This groundbreaking research challenges existing views on cognitive differences between bilinguals and monolinguals, emphasizing the dynamic nature of our cognitive abilities. Researchers at the University of Cambridge have uncovered a crucial link between the hormone GDF15 and the severity of morning sickness in pregnancy, revealing how varying levels of this hormone can predict the risk and intensity of nausea in expectant mothers. This breakthrough offers new insights into the treatment and understanding of pregnancy-related sickness, potentially leading to more effective therapies for severe morning sickness. 
Scientists have discovered that domestic cats purring is enabled by special pads in their vocal cords, allowing low-frequency vibrations without brain input, a finding that challenges long-held beliefs about the mechanics of purring. This groundbreaking study involving the examination of cat larynges reveals that purring may be a passive process, like a natural feline form of vocal fry. You can watch The Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet on Sunday, February 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Our Discovery executive producer is Dominique Vu. Our Wheelhouse DNA executive producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gate and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Sam Osterhout. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Karasimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.